0: Welcome to the DASH Podcast. I'm excited to present to you today, Dr. Heidi Ogilvie out of the Baltimore, the DMV area, Baltimore, Maryland, and DC. She is a district level professional growth and development uh, officer in the area and provides that training to everybody from support staff in the cafeteria up to the superintendent of the district. And and from what I understand from talking to Dr. Lorenzo Hughes, you have a pretty large district. How do you balance your time with so many schools and so many people uh, looking to be developed professionally, Dr. Ogilvie?
1: That, good morning, Trey. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm honored to have a conversation with you about our sector. Um, great question. I think the priority, we were able to prioritize by way of looking at our data. We really try to focus on um, our high needs areas. And we also align our target services to our um, strategic plan. We have a newly developed and implemented strategic plan that focuses on three key areas. The first one is all means all. The second one is ready, set, launch. And the third one is sound stewardship. So going back to this notion of all means all, we really, that means everything. We, we try to make sure that we are including everybody who is employed in our school district and everybody who interfaces with our young people. We want to make sure that they have access to opportunities to grow and develop as we strive to provide all of our students with a world-class education. Mm. So that, that means everybody. Mm. Um, The second pillar is Ready, Set, Launch, which deals with our curriculum. So that is everything from teaching and learning to evaluation. To the ways in which we are supporting our young people in and outside of our classrooms by by way of academia, just getting them ready for college and or careers. And then lastly, sound stewardship. How are we equitably distributing our resources and our talent to better meet the needs of our our young people? So all of that helps to really devise my blueprint and the work that the department that I work within is able to do and to do in a very um, intentional and deliberate way so it's all steeped in data but also Mm -hmm. it is targeted and aligned to our district-wide strategic plan
0: gotcha gotcha you said that's a new plan um you know is that is that something that your district does consistently with the strategic plans or is this the first time that you guys have had one Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So we ha- we we use a strategic plan every single year. This is something okay. historically that we've done to make sure that our vision, our mission, our outreach, and the services that we provide to our students and families are all aligned to, um, to our goals. So the, embedded in our strategic plan are also a series of goals um, and benchmarks that we really work hard to achieve. And we look at a multitude of data and benchmarks to help us ensure that we are moving in the right direction. And if not, why not? And how can we change our trajectory to ensure that we are making adequate progress in yearly mm. gains?
0: Mm. Mm. Wow. So, so what exactly is your role with the professional development? I love those two or those three focuses of sound stewardship, all means all, and, and ready, set, launch. You know, unfortunately, um, every educator does not believe that all students can learn. So, you know, getting to the place where your whole district is focused on uh, making sure that everybody is involved from students to teachers, that's, that's a very powerful um, piece of information. So what exactly is your role in this strategic plan and in professional development?
1: So uh, that's another great question. I think my my role is consistent, and that is to help design and implement high-quality professional learning opportunities for our staff members. And and by staff members, I mean everybody and everybody who interfaces with children in our school district, and that's almost everybody um, Mm -hmm. to the extent possible. Um, so I look at data and trends, and I notice that okay, we need to be preventative. I think in many ways, in, in education, we have traditionally operated from the stance of reacting. So obviously, we do have to react because the world is changing, and. Sometimes we have case studies that we've, we've never encountered before. And then so in many ways, the world remains the same. So how can we be both proactive and reactive and respond to, to our data? Hmm. And by data, I just mean the needs of all of our, of all of our, our folks, everybody on our team. Yeah. Um, and then we extrapolate that down and look at the low-lying fruits. So what are some of our easy targets? Hmm. Like where can we fix things quickly? or provide opportunities to learn and grow and pivot? And what are some of the more long-term, um, more aggressive, nuanced tasks that we'll have to do? And we need a, a phased plan that includes three to five years worth of um, targeted and strategic growth and development opportunities for all of our people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so in talking about low-hanging fruit, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in keeping students in class. When a student is not in class, mm-hmm. Everybody loses. The, the student isn't learning, the teacher's not teaching, and your administrators become babysitters. What are some of those low-hanging fruits that you see as a trend upon in your district or in different schools that you've been at that you can nip in the butt and really improve your school from a behavior standpoint?
1: Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Behavior, discipline, classroom management, all of those things are always hot button. And um, top of mind for educators, we have Students that are coming to schools that um, that are difficult to keep engaged for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes I feel like there there is a disconnect between what teachers are are exposing young people to and and aiming to teach, and um, what's important for students to know and be able to do. So hybridizing what's important for students to know and be able to do with the way in which we can thoughtfully engage young people. Hmm. Um, is, is a skill, and we, we have to really keep um, digging deeply so that we truly understand how we navigate that space. So I, I guess in many regards, it deals heavily with preparing our teachers with deep pedagogical and content knowledge so that they know how to, how to get at keeping students engaged, and then in many ways is also making sure that they are empathetic to the needs of our students and to their experiences and stories. Many of our students come to school um, with some stuff in their backpack that mm. we have to, we, we can't ignore. And sometimes the things in their backpack spill out in ways that uh, we're not used to or in, tradi- in untraditional ways. And that causes us to, to pause or to shift or to be a bit uncomfortable. Mm. Um and I and I also think that we can't ignore race in in this conversation when we think about the disproportionality of the students that are pushed out of classrooms or not giving access to not given access to um opportunities to grow and become better in inside classrooms. So it's that's a nuanced question, but. I guess if I had to pick a couple of things that I would like to target, I think it's just creating um, a teacher that has a, a mindset and not so much a growth mindset. I think mm-hmm. growth mindset and mindset are vastly different, but a mindset that is social justice um, oriented to understand that all students really deserve access to high quality education, that all students are capable of learning and achieving at high levels and that the teachers are the conduits to, for that. And if you, you look out at young people and you want to separate them for any reason, then I push you to understand why you want to separate them and Mm. how you're showing up because the way in which we show up, um, our our students understand it and and we expose ourselves, we expose our biases and all of that impacts who's pushed out of classrooms and who's allowed to stay and for what reasons.
0: Yeah. Uh, So let me push on that piece in, in separating students. What do you mean by Separating students? How, how, how can a teacher or a school separate students, and, and for what reasons would that take place?
1: Um, by separate, I just mean like push out of class, kick out of mm-hmm. class. You okay. know, you have to leave my classroom now. And I, I think that answer varies across school districts. Yeah. So there are um, many behaviors. You know, you have um, non-compliance, disrespect, physical aggression. Um, some of the more serious offenses like the physical aggression um, typically require that a student be pulled out of class or sent yeah. down to the office or um, the school resource officer coming to get the st- coming to get the student if you're in the secondary level or the principal or a behavior mm-hmm. specialist. We have a multitude of people that support our students for various reasons, but physical aggression tends to get, stu- and unsafe behaviors tends to get students, Remember. I don't want to say suspended, but moved out of the classroom. So that's what I mean by separated, mm-hmm. because okay. you're separated from the instruction that is, was planned for the student. So yep. those things tend to get students kicked out, pushed out, moved out or relocate it, if you will.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. I know there's uh, similarly, and I think this is more of a conversation in equity, so I'm not going to get too far off track, but um, looking at the barriers to entry that people of color to Black students or Latino students may have in, in certain classes, that's another level of the separation that I believe we've talked to and talked about in another episode. And you've also, you, so you mentioned the bias from teachers, the the baggage, the bias, the blind spots for teachers. When you're going into a session, taking this more to a, a low level grassroots type of area, when you're talking to a school or you're having a district wide professional development session with teachers or administrators, and you're talking about that baggage and creating a, an educator or developing an educator that um, can eliminate that baggage for themselves or that bias for themselves. So they're not, so they can eliminate it for the student. H- how does that process work? What kind of data can you use to show teachers the bias and what kind of strategies can you use to help them eliminate that bias in their classroom?
1: Wow. That's a, that's another great question. Um, eliminating the bias is hard. I think that that is, that's a work in progress i think exposing them to the way in which we are biased and the systems and structure of institutional racism and white privilege and and uh, white fragility are Ways to start for me, I always encourage school districts and teachers and school systems. I'm sorry, in school, local schools, individual school campuses, to not to wait and just to start now. Uh, yeah. That's that's always the first step. We can't turn a blind eye or pretend like this is not an issue. The mm. second thing I like to encourage folks to do is just to develop economy of language. What does this stuff mean, and what are the key terms that we can use to leverage? and to deepen our understanding of race, racism, and bias-motive behaviors. How does that show up? And what are we, and are we describing them in the same ways? And one of the other things that I'd like to do is to show authentic, timely examples. Case in point, I was having a conversation with um, my husband this morning uh, about race, racism, and things of that sort. And he sent me a link from Aspen Institute, just on their registration page. And on their registration page, they have all the categories of of race descriptors, African-American, Latino, Hispanic, all of those were spelled out in alphabetical order, right? But at the very top of the list was white, and we both, white, Caucasian, and in that order, white, Caucasian. So we both know that white begins with a W, and mm-hmm. should be further down if we were alphabetizing. So everything mm-hmm. in that category was alphabetized with the exception of white, which wow. was the first lever, wow. right? So what does that tell us about um, institutional racism, power, privilege, and white supremacy? Yeah.
0: yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think in in a lot of ways, when, when I think generally you think about professional development, you, you do think mostly about the, the pedagogy that's involved. But teaching, it goes far beyond the technique of what you learn in the classroom. So I think highlighting the pieces that are not pedagogy or, or other kinds of pedagogy that, that isn't just learning and, and strategic objectives or learning objectives and stuff like that is, is pretty important. What's, what's your favorite part of the work that you're doing in professional development for your district?
1: So my favorite part is probably <laughs> it's, it's much easier to research leadership than it is sure. to actually do leadership. So I like, I like the idea of researching, but I also like the idea of putting theory into practice. So I'm fortunate enough to work with a team of really good and talented people. So I'm able to really institute some of the things that I'm learning along mm. the way, but I also, I'm also able to, to coach some of the principles at a side-by-side level and to help them develop and grow their team. So I think it's, it's that at its root, I think I'm a coach and a teacher Yeah, just so any opportunity I have to teach, to help, to assist and to develop really makes my heart smile.
0: Mm, mm, mm. So I I think that's, that's important. I think you have to have a love for the work that you're doing or, or a passion and a purpose for it. From your perspective as a district level coordinator or um, leader for professional development, where, where is the starting place? Do you start from the bottom up or do you start from the top down? And I, I, I don't mean that to minimize anybody's role. I mean, from a hierarchical standpoint, do you start with the teachers and the support staff in the cafeteria or do you start from the superintendent and the principal of the districts?
1: I think it's and both, right? So you, we can't just start with the, the top level. We have to start with both. And depending on the initiative, I think that the superintendent has a responsibility of, of charting the course and being very verbal and verbose about that. So this is, these are our initiatives. This is the way in which we're going to provide you with the support and development needed to implement these initiatives, and this is our reason why, these are the intended outcomes, and these are the ways in which it will impact um, our student growth, development, enhancement, and the way in which we're able to get along in a global society. And Mm. we have to also send that same message to the folks at the bottom, and we have to do both. We can't, unfortunately, we're not in a space where we have the luxury to say, okay, you get first dibs. We have to do it simultaneously.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. So when you when you are working with these teachers, you know, a, a lot of times being in the school or when you go to professional development situations, you have um, you you've got this great training, you've got this great presentation, but there's not always the tools that I can take back to my school to implement in my classroom, or or say if I go to a district conference or a, a statewide conference, I have so many resources. I'm so inspired. For, from everything that I've learned, but when I take the, the travel back home and catch my breath from how tired I end up being for that day and then going to implement those strategies in the classroom, a lot of times they get lost because I don't necessarily have the resources or the tools I need to implement those, those high-level functions or concepts that I had in the class. What kind of resources and support can you provide during your training sessions and during your development to make sure that it's not lost in translation and to have that smooth transition from here's making it app, ab- taking it from abstract to concrete, using that in the classroom.
1: Yeah. That's important. So the spray and pray, I don't necessarily recommend. The one-shot deals, you come in, I'm gonna spray you with all this information and I'm gonna pray that you go off and do something with it. I think that we have to honor each other, honor our children and honor our family and societies enough to, to understand that when we do these one-shot sessions, it's not enough. And if we, if we do them, then we have to make sure that we embed opportunities for folks to self-check self-reflect or work in clusters or what we call um, professional learning uh, groups or um, communities, PLCs, learning groups, or just um, small tribe groups so that they can check, check in with each other. The second thing is I think that we have to understand that we have to understand what's important and how we dispatch resources. And be really, really transparent about it. And some some PD sessions don't require a bunch, you know, but I think that we have to also understand that there's professional development, there's professional training, there's professional learning. And when things are, I can train you to use your Promethean board or your Elmo or the visualizer or whatever you want to call it. But in terms of development, I have to help you uh, learn the ways in which we better design our lessons to be more engaging, I think that that is ongoing and continuous work that we have to keep talking about. And I also think that we have to make this minds on and hands-on as it relates to developing our, our teachers and other people who interface with our students. So how can we turn this sit-and-get where you go, you come in and you sit down and you listen to the talking head at the front of the room to, to a more involved interactive session, so workshop methodologies, using a series of protocols so that we are constantly thinking, reflecting on our practice that helps when we can't provide um, three, a series of professional growth And learning opportunities where it's just a one-shot deal, but I really push folks to think beyond the the one shots because they typically don't render us the best results.
0: Yeah, that's true. And also I love your phrases, the spray and pray, the sit and get, those are those are good terms that I might have to borrow from you. So thank you for sharing. You are welcome. Sharing
1: Uh, is caring.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So when you I, I, professional development, I believe, is also personal development. If you want to, you have to be a better you to be better at anything else. So, and what I what I hear you saying, and from this relaunch of this podcast, there's a lot of focus on the person. My background, personally, is in psychology. That's what my degree was in, and so I definitely believe in in person first communication and person first language. And what I'm hearing from you is that they're, you're trying to activate the person, the the you know, you, you do have, like you said, I can teach the Promethean board, I can teach you the lesson plans, but you have to think critically and consistently about how you are, how you who you are as an educator, rather. Just like if it's not, you know, going on a diet doesn't really help you lose weight consistently, it's a lifestyle change that you have to have. And, and I see maybe an education lifestyle change. Does that, does that hit anything with you?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's all about the individual because the individual shows up in the classrooms every single day. And yes, you do have to change your lifestyle. You do have to be committed to reflecting on your practice, to um, learning and growing, to g- getting feedback from your colleagues, from your administrators. So, yeah, it's definitely personal. And I think you have to have an innate um, ability to compete with yourself, to pro- to make sure that you are providing students with the best and that you are bringing the best every single day. So, mm-hmm. oh gosh, yes. Professional growth and development is way personal. I think, I think it's who you are first yeah. that will really impact what you take away from learning opportunities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your role as a district i've I've spoken to some principals before that of that i've talked to about coming in and and doing a series of professional development series but they said their teachers don't have the felt need they don't understand that why they need classroom management training or professional development training how do you how do you help bring awareness to this idea of of putting the person first and that everybody needs the professional development whether it's reflection resources strategies or or pedagogy
1: wow um i think that that's multi-layered as well most teachers don't feel like there is a need because i think that in many ways they haven't been given the honest and tough feedback that they Mm -hmm. really need to grow it's easier to tell people that oh you're doing a great job this was such a great lesson or well, how do you think you did? You know, so there, there is a, um, a science behind giving feedback. Mm. And for the most part, we're very comfortable with doing the warm and fuzzy stuff. But when it comes to the cold, cool and prickly feedback, we, we tend to shy away. <laughs> yeah. And when we when we neglect to give the cool and prickly feedback, then we don't see a need for growth. We don't see a need for getting better. If I constantly mm. tell you, you're doing a great job, then you're thinking, all right, I'm, I'm almost perfect. So let me just keep doing what I'm doing. Mm. And you don't push to get better and to try new things because you feel like what you're doing is working. And it's almost that if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: Yeah. Sort of
1: a mantra that becomes the roadmap for your life. So I push my fellow educators, administrators to, to try to give very nuanced and honest feedback that is timely, specific, bite-sized, and steeped in data so that they can come back in and check. So if I'm going to give you feedback ab- around the ways in which you are checking for understanding, then these are some strategies I want you to try out. But I'm going to circle back in a couple of weeks. And I think that that ongoing, nuanced, real-time um, professional growth side-by-side instruction from the principal is probably the most impactful
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and, and I heard you say three things right there feedback strategy accountability as, as a process for maintaining or, or continuous improvement in that professional development are there specific pillars that, that you're following or specific process maybe you know and I'm it may be different from uh, superintendent, principal, uh, guidance counselor, teacher level, but is there is there a set of principles for any or all of those groups or, excuse me, a process that you use for that development with your educators?
1: Well, I, I like to refer to the improvement science um, information, which is very similar to what you and what we just said. So it's just about uh, like a um, bulge, understanding of what we're trying to improve or impact, understanding the resources available, the uh, theory and pedagogy embedded, the supports necessary, the side by side coaching and instruction and processing time, time to uh, observe it in another way from someone else who may have a better handle on it, and then. Um, another observation or another round they do the um carnegie institute really shares great info on improvement science that's sort of sweeping the country so Hmm. if you haven't had an opportunity to to dig into that i would definitely encourage all of your listeners to to take a peek at what they're what they're asserting works well when we're when we're trying to improve systems and structures and outcomes writ large
0: yeah Okay, that makes sense. I I appreciate that so much. So how how did you get involved in education? It's not the most glamorous, but it seems to be something that America is 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 finding more important as of late. And in, in in particular, I'd say for Black people and people of color, educ the importance of education is is on the rise. And maybe it's just my continuation and diving into the industry, or maybe it's been there all along, but how did you get into education and and find that this work was important for you specifically to do?
1: I think I fell upon education. So Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to student teach by way of a non-traditional avenue. I can't, I want to say it was under Bill Clinton's administration administration. America's Promise, that part is is a little fuzzy to me. So, I had a work-study opportunity at Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia that allowed me to, I don't want to minimize student teaching, but for lack of a better term, I'll say student teach. I did all of the things that a traditional student teacher would do. I submitted lesson plans. I worked side by side with with a lead teacher of record in a elementary school she gave me feedback she gave me opportunities to lead lessons so I want to say I did almost everything that a traditional student teacher who'd gone through an education program in undergraduate school would do I did it for an entire year so the fall semester and the spring semester and I think that's where I got bit I got bit by the bug I loved um, the feedback that I got from the young people just uh, loving on me. I think so. I think it was just personal. They hugged me when I walked into the classroom. They hated yeah. to see me leave. Uh, they were excited when I came. They responded to some of the things that I did. And again, I didn't really have the theory from taking a series of methodology classes at the undergraduate level. So all of my stuff was just um, instinct. And I got bit by the bug, graduated mm-hmm. From undergraduate school and landed my first job teaching in the District of Columbia Public Schools at Davis Elementary School, fourth grade in 1998, and I never looked back. So my first class of fourth graders, I think, really shaped me into wow. the, the educator that I am with the sense of urgency that I have to create more equitable opportunities for students of color and students that have been um, traditionally disenfranchised. So I think all students are really important, but I also think that it's important for us to try as best as possible to provide equitable oppor- opportunities for students that just that are just in the opportunity gap.
0: Mm. So, so for... The educators that are listening, and, and thank you so much for sharing. That For the educators that are living in and have the heart of a teacher and really want to stay in education and help bridge this gap that we have in in grades, you know, achievement, in test scores, and all these things, where, where can someone start that, that maybe has not started um, district-wide with, with equity training and professional development training? Where do I start as a principal to help bridge, start to bridge this gap in education.
1: So, starting as a principal, um, I think it's understanding the talents of your of your teachers and leveraging those as strengths. I think that as educators we are really inclined to to figure out our areas of needs and i would i would push you to do just the opposite so what are the strengths that our teachers mm-hmm. have in our buildings and how can we leverage those strengths to so that they can be continue to be successful and then also, how can we create, if empathy isn't one of their strengths or that's not something that you're seeing manifest itself in, within your teachers, how can we also begin to embed the structures and practices of empathetic practitioners and also mitigate bias and some of the other things that um, perpetuate inequitable practices in our schools?
0: Okay. So focus on your strength and begin to develop empathy. I think that's a that's a great place to start. And that that's that's perfect. Is there anything is there anything else that you want to share with, with educators that may be listening again on, on all levels as you work with as a professional development enthusiast? What well, what else do you have to share with someone that's listening right now?
1: I think iron sharpens iron, so find uh, find a mentor, and an, uh, both a mentor and an advocate, and I think those are two very different people, so a mentor is somebody who will, um, to help coach and develop you along, give you some feedback, point you in the right direction, and an advocate is somebody who will vouch for you in many ways, so if there is a professional development opportunity that you want to take advantage of that's relegated for a certain section of your building or a certain level of educator, then you, you have that advocate to say, hey, no, I think this person will do a great job doing this particular work. Can you give them a seat at the table? So you, mm-hmm. you need that. And you also need a tribe of people that um, that help you and push you and make you better. I think the the idea is for this notion of continuous improvement to permeate throughout your body as an educator. This, wow. is, this is hard work. And um, it's hard work because it's never perfect. And so we have to continue to work at it. So that would be one of the pieces of advice that um, I, I would give a group of, of um, educators. And I would also say, start to develop your, your reading list. Hmm. Read a, a plethora of, um, of resources and literature about teaching and learning and the science behind teaching and learning and engagement. And also stay, stay on top of, of, of any trends. Um, what's trending in education, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to get rid of, what do we need to bring to scale and spread, and also understand policies and how policies impact the way in which decisions are made. Um, and also research heavily your school district, understand the vision and mission in, of the strategic plan and how that impacts you and how that impacts community and our larger global societies. So just remain a student of the game, if you will, and yeah. uh, stay the course.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Student of the game. That, that's something that you I think we teach it all the time, you know, being a student and being a continuous learner. But I think sometimes it can get lost in the shuffle as an educator. We're continuing to learn and grow and develop as well. We have to adapt and change with the platform that we've been given today. So thank you so much for sharing, Dr. Ogilvie. How can how can someone reach you? If I'm if I'm listening right now, how can I find you?
1: Well, I'm on Twitter at um, at D-R-H-P-O. So that's at Dr. H-P-O. Um, follow me. I'll follow you back. And then you can send me a DM and I will um, direct message you. You can also shoot me an email, um, Dr. Heidi o at gmail.com.
0: Thank you so much. I thank you for sharing, Dr. Ogilvie. That was some very insightful information. A few highlights and takeaways that I've just jotted down as we've been discussing. All means all, ready, set, launch sound stewardship you know those are all pieces that are important to implement in your in your way of living as an educator um and i also love the phrases that you use the spray and pray that's not what we want same with the sit and get we need to be active and engaging continuously with our educators so that can permeate through our districts through our schools and through our students to prepare our students for success in this global economy. For everybody that's listening, I thank you so much for taking that time out. I would love to hear your feedback. So if you enjoyed something that Dr. Ogilvie said, go ahead and reach out to her, or you could reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, my website, TreyGamers.com, and just reach out. Let me know what you think. And if you know another educator who needs to hear this episode, go ahead and share it with them. Well, this is how we bridge the gap in education through challenging, meaningful, significant conversation. I thank you for listening and we'll hope to see you next time. This is The Dash.